Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. We are glad to have you with us once again at Burden and Blessing. My name is Nathaniel Mayhew and joining me today is my good friend and colleague, Neil Radical, as we continue on in our study of one of our favorite books of the Bible, the Psalms. We've been working through the Psalms over the last few months, and we're taking these chronologically, if you might recall, starting with the oldest as best as we can place them chronologically and working toward those who were uh, that those that were written much more recently were on our 10th Psalm out of 150. So we're still on the front end of this, but we're looking at Psalm 52 today. This is another one of the Psalms written by David. He wrote the majority of the Psalms way over half. And so we're going to find his name coming up quite often in our study of the Psalms. This one follows not too far distantly after the previous Psalm, the study, the Psalm that we studied the last time David is on the run. Saul is trying to hunt him down. We talked a little bit last time when we studied Psalm 142 about King Saul and a man by the name of Doeg, who kind of did David in or tried to. And Neil, this psalm is an interesting psalm describing human nature. We have this interesting contrast between the person who does evil and the fact that God desires for the human being to do good. And it kind of reminds me of Romans chapter seven, where Paul writes the good that I want to do that I don't do and the evil that I don't want to do. That's what I find myself doing. Any thoughts on Psalm 52 as we, before we hop into the text itself? You know, I think what strikes me about David is he's got, so, like you said, we've got all these Psalms that are in connection with David fleeing from Saul and Saul hunting him down. And what's interesting is that these Psalms are not only praying for the Lord's presence, but also praying for his enemies and for the Lord to take vengeance rather than he take vengeance himself. And what strikes me about all of these is that you see a lot of Psalms at the worst times in David's life. And I think that's relatable to us because when do we pray the most? Probably the worst times of our life. And so what's neat about this is that we can reflect on these worst times of David's life or other biblical people and realize that even in the good times of our life, we have reason to be grateful because I'm not going through what David went through at this point in time. So that's probably my biggest overview is that, wow, we're gonna, how many more of these Psalms are we going to do that fit in with this timeline? But I think you mentioned last time that it's possible that David was on the run from Saul for many years. You know, we, we discussed the possibility of it being 20, 30 years that David would have been on the run from Saul. And so that's a whole level of endurance and long suffering that is not quite common to us that only probably a few of us could really relate to with uh, people personally in their lives. So it's a good, good lesson for us on patience and persistence in prayer to the Lord. A lot of peas there. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's good. There's uh, there's your love of letters that match coming out again. <laughs> uh, so one thought before we get into Psalm 52, we've talked about this in a couple of previous Psalms too, but the opening verses or opening words of this Psalm say to the chief musician, 
We've talked a lot about the musical nature of the Psalms, that this is the hymn book of the Old Testament. This Psalm sort of reminds me of the Reformation section of our hymnal, where you're talking about, you think about reading through those Psalm or the hymns in the Reformation section of the, of the hymnal. And a lot of times they have this theme of there is wickedness and evil in the world. And God, we're asking you to step in and judge this, if not right now, at least in the future. And so this, we, we've kind of talked about that before, how some of these Psalms would fit into categories in our hymnal, invocation, you know, beginning of service, a prayer. This one kind of seems, in my mind, would fit nicely in a Reformation type of, of section of a hymnal. Uh, let's start through it. You want to read the first five verses? We'll go down to the first little break there. Sure. Sounds good. Psalm 52, reading from the New King James Version. To the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast in evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good. Lying. Selah. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Not a lot of positive themes in those first four verses. Well, I think it's important for us to reflect on what Doeg did. And I know we had commented on this before in a previous study. We talked about this is I'm just going to label Doeg the dork because he's kind of the tattletale here on David. But, you know, we had an interesting discussion on that, too. And I don't know if you want to play the antagonist against that. So I'm going to call Doeg a dork. You want to try to defend him a little bit? Not at all. (laughs) All right, I'll try. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I will. I will. Um, you know, Doeg, if we want to put the best construction on things. Yes, yes. He probably was trying to defend Saul. Saul was the king. And so, again, we can't read the heart of Doeg. We don't know. He might have been completely selfish, you know, running to Saul saying, hey, guess what? You know, I got this guy. I know you got to get rid of him and trying to get some sort of you know, prestigious award or power or influence reward. or reward, yeah, reward of some kind from Saul. But if we're going to put the best construction on things, he might have actually been trying to do what was best and in the best interest of Saul. So these are things that we have to be really careful about when we're looking at these texts, because obviously the Psalm is coming from David's perspective. And by inspiration, David is telling us very clearly the nature of Doeg, isn't he? I mean, he's saying, why do you both and now and maybe there's a little bit of Saul in here too. I've wondered if the first phrase is actually describing maybe more Saul than it is even Doeg. I don't know if you'd call Doeg a mighty man. Saul would have been. No I doubt. think anyone who boasts and is proud in their own thoughts think of themselves as a mighty man. Sure. So I see that sure. I see that second phrase as oh mighty man. A person who boasts thinks very highly of themselves. And so uh, I, I liked where you were going with that, that whole idea of okay, so Doeg. Maybe we don't know his heart, but again, he also just put how many priests to death? Mm-hmm. That's 70. And so the whole idea is, okay, 
Did he do that because Saul told him to? Was he doing that because he wanted a reward? Did he do that because he felt like that was his national uh, pride to do that in the sense of, oh, I've got to help protect our nation? It's really hard to understand that, except for the point that you make. What is God's inspiration? What is he telling us by words of information about the character of Doeg? Or, like you just said, of Saul. But I, ultimately, I, I like that point that we're talking about here. If, if you're boasting in evil, why do you think you're so great that you can be lord over this evil and you decide what is right and wrong? Well, you look at some of the terms that are used in here. So boast in evil. Well, that's a pretty descriptive term that's not positive. Right. Uh, devises destruction. Well, that's not good. Your, your tongue is working deceitfully. You love evil. I mean, look at these terms. These are not, not good at all. And then finally, he says, you love devouring words, you deceitful tongue. So, you know, God knows the heart. We, we only see what's on the outside. And God tells us that we are not to judge the hearts of others. We are simply to judge their actions. But God is looking on the inside here from, from David and giving us the words. And he says, hey, what's going on in the heart of this guy? Think about the words of Jesus. He says, whatever it is that comes out of the lips, where does it come from? It comes from the heart. We can't see the heart, but we can see what comes out of the lips. We can see the actions that come out of, of the person's mouth. And, and so this is another psalm that really describes what the, what the results are of both Saul and, in this case, Doeg. Saul was trying to hunt D David down. He had no good reason for it. We've talked about that in previous psalms. Doeg seems, from this text, to be lying, deceiving, seeking evil, seeking bad things. So that sort of seems to give us a little bit of an indication of where Doeg's heart was, even though you and I can't see the heart of Doeg. Yeah, he certainly had an ambition. You know, if, if Saul's reason for hunting David was born out of jealousy and envy, then what would we label here of Doeg? What, what, what malice are we looking out for with Doeg? And it would be probably a level of greed or entitlement or... Again, maybe elitist attitude where, well, this David is nothing because he's not the king. And you know, and you mentioned earlier, it gives us that impression that you know, David did not have the greatest reputation because of Saul. Saul was spreading a lot of lies about him and obviously causing a lot of commotion within his own council and his army. Um, may, many of his army had defected from Saul to join David because they were concerned about Saul's mental state. So we know some of David's unmarried men that we talked about a few psalms ago that were with him were defects or or left Saul's army for that purpose but ultimately I would think nationally David was not super popular and so Doeg probably felt he was doing the nation a favor uh, as as you put it earlier as far as best construction is concerned well that that's one of the reasons why I've wondered as we take a look at these first five verses if David is actually describing Saul in this section as opposed to Doeg because think about what happened Saul was the one who commanded his soldiers first of all to kill the priests right and his soldiers said well I'm not going to do it and then he said to Doeg you go kill them and and Doeg did there's no hesitation right but we don't have any examples of Doeg 
lying or deceiving or using devouring. I mean, everything that we know about Doeg from the text in 2 Samuel is that he's just simply telling the truth. He's just telling Saul what he knows. But we know who Saul is, and we've seen the examples of Saul. And so even though the introduction of the psalm says a contemplation of David when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech, I wonder if this is really a descriptive section of the nature of Saul at this point, as opposed to the nature of Doeg himself, because this really seems to fit with everything that we know about Saul up to this point and following. I would make the argument, which isn't an argument really at all with you. It's more of a, why, why shouldn't it be both? You, know, you think about, we haven't studied this Psalm together, but the wicked take counsel together against the Lord and go against his anointed saying, you know, we shall break their bonds in pieces. Ultimately, don't we see that happening right here? Doeg and Saul aligning their thoughts together for whatever purposes it is. Like I mentioned, Saul's hatred or Doeg's opportunistic mentality here, where he's going to benefit from this in one way or another. So I, I, I agree with you that it can be reflecting on Saul, but it, it really would make sense that it's for both of them. And they're both listed there, the introduction too. So they have plotted together against David. Right. Yeah. And he's going to continue to be involved in that in, the, in what follows as well. Yeah. Well, let's go into the next section, which gets a little bit more positive, uh, verses six to nine. Do you want to read those verses too? Sure. Actually, you should. All right. I'll read it. The righteous, you're going to give me the good stuff. <laughs> you, you bet. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. Talk about confidence in the midst of trouble, huh? No doubt. It's pretty amazing to stop and think about how does he shift that mentality from what sounds like hatred of Saul and Doeg, potentially, you know, in that sense there, to just extreme like release from the whole situation. You know, that's, it only can be the Lord that's doing that for him. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I think that's what he's writing about is that even though he has this hatred of the lies that are being spoken of him or the ill will or the, the fact that he's innocent of any guilt, you have this switch in his mentality from his vengeful mind to a, a, rec a reconciliation that the Lord would take care of it. And he would be the one who would continue to show him the joy and his recompense would be a word to use here. Yeah. I think this comes from the fact that he's looking to the ultimate goal, the ultimate end. And I think a lot of times we struggle with that. You know, I think of Romans 12 where Paul says, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. And a lot of times we get caught up in that. Don't we? David probably had the temptation. We've talked about that before in other Psalms too, where David had the temptation to, hey, this guy's hunting me down. I've got an opportunity to get rid of him. I'm going to do that. But he said, no, I can't do that. This is the king. God, is a, God has placed him in this position. 
when God is ready to take Saul out of the way, he's going to take Saul out of the way. And while in the opening verses, he's pointing out the horrible, evil characters, uh, characteristics of, of Saul, Doeg, and those that were involved with them, he still points out the Lord is in control. And a person who has confidence in God, who knows who God is, who knows that God is good and that he is just and that he is righteous and that he is watching out for his people, he says, again, back to Paul again, what can man do to me? If God is on my side, who, who do I fear? What is there to fear? And I think that's ultimately what David is really grabbing a hold of here and saying, yes, ultimately, Saul, Doeg, any of these guys, they're going to have their day. They're going to stand before God, and that is not going to be pleasant. And the, the righteous point to that the dangers of putting our confidence in them, but the believer, the one who trusts in the mercy of God, that's different. I will praise you forever because you have done it. He realizes the strength isn't in himself. It's in the, it's in the strength of God that is going to be with him, is going to protect him, is going to bring him out on the other side. I find it interesting too, when you talked about the trust that he has, you know, we've talked about some of the other Psalms and I know in some of our other studies, we talk about the Lord shall laugh laugh at the ones who are, as I mentioned before, plotting against him. And I, and I always like to think of that. I don't ever read into the fact that this is like a maniacal laugh, like a evil laugh, because we know there's no darkness in our Lord at all. But it's it's the laughable attempts. It's like if you had a little uh, toddler trying to wrestle with you, you know, and trying to pin you to the ground. It's, it's kind of funny. It's like you, you don't have ill will against them. You're just kind of like, you laugh at the struggle. You maybe they're even frustrated and angry at what they can't do. And so it's not like, it's not like the, I'm going to wipe you out laugh, like a scary laugh. But what's interesting to me about this section and looking at it's the Lord who's normally laughing. Now David's reflecting on the righteous are the ones who are laughing. So it's again, it's the Lord giving us that confidence in his power and strength that we can laugh at our enemies. Again, not in like a, uh, what am I thinking? You know, like not, not of, not in the way that's like wishing them evil or harm, but in the sense that your plans will come to nothing. They're laughable as you try to face the Lord. And I wonder how much confidence David has, you know, in this Psalm, we, we kind of see it. If he knows he's the Lord's anointed, did that help him overcome some of those temptations to doubt? You know, if the first half is about like, Lord, how can this, how can you, how can people like this exist? And then at the same point in time, he knows that the Lord's not going to allow them to overcome, overtake him. He knows the Lord's going to be with him. He knows the Lord's going to be his rock. And if the Lord has anointed him to be the future king, he knows he will be the future king. Uh, and that's why we see later on in some of the upcoming Psalms, he doesn't have to take matters into his own hands because he knows what the Lord's plan is as far as the anointed goes. I think there's a lot in there that whole idea of the righteous will laugh at the, the, the wicked one saying what he's well, saying I, there in verse seven. Yeah, no, I agree completely uh, that the righteous are involved in that too. I, I really like the conclusion at the end of verse nine, it starts off. I will praise you forever because you have done it. So it emphasizes the fact that God is in control. You have done it, but look at the last phrase in verse nine. It says, and 
in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. I think a lot of times we skip to the very last phrase, I will wait on your name for it is good, emphasizing the goodness of God and the fact that we've talked about this before too, the fact that the Christian, it, it isn't about our time frame. The Christian puts his life into the hands of God and trusts in God's time frame. But one of the things that I really like about that closing phrase is it says, and in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. In other words, the value of surrounding ourselves with like-minded believers who encourage us in our waiting for the Lord. You know, you think about the person who has cancer. And if you bring in a bunch of unbelieving friends, they're not going to build you up. You know, in, in essence, your faith is going to be torn down. But when you bring those fellow believers in, you're built up in that confidence, that assurance that you have in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name and be reminded by my fellow believers that it is good. I think that is such an important part of, of how valuable that is. Yes, we can be a witness to the unbelieving world, but, you know, in a, in a struggle like this, how important it is to be surrounded by our fellow believers to be built up and encouraged by them. Well, I know that's been true for me in my own life. You know, we've talked about how much we enjoy going through these Psalms because we find mutual support and encouragement for our families, for our ministries. And ultimately, no matter what anybody says against us, and that happens from time to time, as we both know in our ministries, we know that the Lord continues to give us strength through it. We can trust in his blessings. We can trust in his strength when we're weak. I love that. Like you said, because the name is the name of the Lord is good. He's always going to be faithful to us. And he's already shown us why we will get to praise him forever. Just like you said in verse nine, because he's, he's already performed his promise, especially for us as living in the new Testament times where we see Christ's fulfillment of all the promises for us. So we can have that confidence in the eternal fulfillment of his second coming to take us home to be with all the saints forever. Well, and as I take a look at you here on the screen and I see your t-shirt, I'm also reminded of the benefits of the men's retreat or the women's retreat, where you have that fellowship in the presence of the saints, the encouragement. When, when the fellows that we got together with a couple of weekends ago, when they come home, they're built up. And, and a lot of times when we're discouraged, having that outlet and, and being surrounded with our fellow believers over the course of a weekend or whatever it happens to be, that is such a valuable source of encouragement. We go home and we are prepared and equipped and, and built up for now the struggle that we know that is going to be before us again, but we're prepared by, by our fellow believers through the word that the Lord is giving to us and encouraged by them. So such a valuable thing. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to study with us with you today. There's a lot more we could comment on but I, I like that co that contrast in the first half and the second half and specifically mm -hmm. also in verse seven where he contrasts here's a man who didn't make god his strength right. but trusted in his own wealth and his own strength and trusted his strength of himself and his own weakness wickedness but then he goes on to say i'm rather going to be find my strength in the house of the lord and trust in his mercy forever and ever just what a wonderful contrast about how we should go about doing things how we should man up like you're saying or yeah. be be godly in, in the Lord's eyes by not dwelling on our own strength, our own uh, righteousness, but in that forgiveness the Lord gives to us, of course, through his word and through Christ. Absolutely. Well, again, always enjoy studying the Psalms with you, Neil. And Agreed. Lord willing, the, uh, those who are joining us over the sound waves today have benefited from 
this study of Psalm 52 as well. We hope that you'll continue to come back and join us for the next 140 to go as we continue working our way through these beautiful hymns of praise and prayer and uh, even judgment at times like we see included in this psalm and are built up through the through the strength and the encouragement of God's word. Looking forward to it. Lord be with you, my brother and my brothers that are listening in Christ as well. We look forward to another time joining in God's word in the future. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's promise that he will always be with you, even to the end of the world.